0: Jesus is real. There's
1: power in Your name. We find hope when we trust in Your ways. We believe that Jesus is
0: real. See, really, what this is about? This is about you and I leaning into who we already are in Christ. This isn't Jesus saying, you gotta do better. Jesus is saying, when you abide in me, this is actually who you are. So it's about us unlearning a way of living that is well-worn and really living into what it means to live as part of God's beautiful kingdom.
1: Are you ready to unlearn the way of the world? You've been living like the rest of the world and now God is asking you to forget the former ways and lean into the person he's made you to be, to lean into the life he has for you. In today's message, Pastor Daniel is going to remind you that the Beatitudes are all about who you already are in Christ. It's just time to lean into that truth and allow God to transform you from the inside out. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter five as he begins his message, The Beauty of Kindness.
0: So, one of my earliest memories growing up was my grandpa, who I love so much, he putting a, a football helmet on my head. So, my grandpa was kind of well known in Valley Stream, New York for his, he was a Pop Warner football coach. They called him Cappy because, you know, when your name is Capadona, you got a couple syllables there, you always shorten it. You know, so they call, you know, Coach Cappy was, was pretty well known. He also owned a sweet shop in town. So, you'd go to the game and then everyone would go get egg creams. Anybody know what an egg cream is? Yeah, like three of you. Praise God. <laughs> you know, it's like an Italian soda almost. And so I, you know, growing up, you know, always wanted to be a football player, but unfortunately long before I realized that my mom was never going to let me play football. I was already like, you know, really into football, a lot. Like really wanted to play. My mom was always very uh, nervous about. It. It's amazing now with all the stuff that comes out about uh, concussions and, all, and brain trauma from playing football. My mom was just never going to let me play football. So deep inside, I was like, kind of like I was dying because I only wanted to play football. So my parents would let me play soccer and then basketball, right? Now, what's funny is, is that in soccer, of course, when they asked me what position I wanted to play, I said, I want to be a defender, because I figured I could kind of play football back there. You know what I mean? Like the guy comes in. You know, I was really good at slide tackling people and being left with my own devices mischievous. But basketball was another story because obviously if you've ever played basketball, you're actually really not allowed to touch anybody. And so I remember when I first started playing basketball, my dad got roped into coaching because nobody wanted to coach. And I remember they first put me in the game and I fouled out in about two minutes. And I'll never forget, my dad said to me, he's like, you know, so Daniel, you're really not allowed to tackle them in basketball. I said, "Well, they got the ball. I mean, what else are you supposed to do with it?" He's like, "I don't know, but you're not supposed to tackle them." And so, so I developed a little bit of a reputation in basketball for being bad and overly aggressive. And so, needless to say, you know, I didn't really have a great basketball career, really. You know, I was the guy that when the game was getting out of hand, they'd throw me in, and I'd foul the star five times in thirty seconds, and then I'd sit down again. That was my job. Now, fast forward. I mean, it's amazing how this all works, though, because obviously now I'm a dad, and so so funny so Obadiah is playing basketball you know and he's got his little school team and they're going for it and so what I noticed about Obadiah is that Obadiah is much more like my wife than he is me so in some ways it's like Obadiah is such a kind hearted person that the guy other guy would have the ball and he'd give him room so (laughs) you know it's I'll never forget after one of the games I said Obadiah I got an idea and he's like what I'm like if you fell out of the game I'll take you out for dinner And he's like, wait, dad, what? I'm like, yeah, I mean, if you fell out of the game, I'll take you out for dinner. He's like, but dad, won't I hurt somebody? I'm like, well, I don't mean clothesline the guys, you know, like, but just like, you know, if you're in the middle of the game, you're, you know, you're going to be grabbing the ball and you're going to be trying to block it, you know, and like sometimes you got to push a guy a little bit, you know, and so I'm just confessing. You just pray for my kids, you know what I mean? Like, but the reason I bring that up is because you, you got to think that from in most situations, Someone fouling out of the game is a bad thing, but you notice I'm wanting to reward that, right? I'm wanting to bring blessings because of that. Now, I know that might sound really strange, and I know you're all thinking that I'm unfit to be a parent, and you're probably right, you know, but we're going to see something today that is so important. You have to remember that the way God works and the way God thinks and the way God rewards doesn't go along the lines of the ways that we think he ought to. Like there are things that God will bring blessings out of that we never would. And it's such an important reminder. I'm not equating my attempt to get my son to be aggressive playing basketball to the works of God. Does that make sense? So I'm not trying to make a moral equivalence there. But what I am wanting to press on is that we live in a culture that values things that God doesn't value. And we live in a culture that wants to embody a way of treating other people in a way that is different than the way God would. And we want to not just learn the way of our culture. We're all living in this culture. So we all intuitively are partaking in some ways in the ways people treat one another in this culture. But God is inviting all of us to a more excellent way. God is asking each one of us not to follow our culture, but to follow Jesus into a way of being that is unique and distinct. Like in a lot of ways, what I'm always reminded of is that Jesus wants us to keep Christianity weird, because the ways that Jesus works is just different, and each one of us in our lives and where we live have to figure out, how do I follow Jesus and move through this world. And so for us, we've been studying the Beatitudes and the Fruit of the Spirit, right? We've been putting them together and it's been such a blast because we're seeing this is what God sees as beautiful. This is when God looks upon a life that looks like this, God is pleased by it. Now I've been making the case all the way along and I want to continue to make the case that these messages are not you need to try harder messages. You had enough of that from life, right? That you just got to try harder. See, really what this is about, this is about you and I leaning into who we already are in Christ. This isn't Jesus saying, you got to do better. Jesus is saying, when you abide in me, this is actually who you are. So it's about us unlearning a way of living that is well-worn and really living into what it means to live as part of God's beautiful kingdom. And that's what's happening in all of our lives every single day. I mean, you look at the last week of your life, there's all these things that when you look back on it, if you're self-reflective at all, if you ponder your way through the world, there's all sorts of things that you see when you look back you're like, yeah, that's not really who I think I really am. I mean, I've acted that way, but that's not my best self, my truest self. That's not me without all the layers of stuff that's been kind of heaped on my shoulders by socialization and situations and parents and all this stuff, right? So all of us intuitively know that there is a gap between what we hope that we would be and what we actually live out on a daily basis. And Jesus is inviting us once again to say, when I'm in you, Jesus, when I am robed in your righteousness, your finished work, when I am filled with your spirit, this is who I actually am. And we're seeking to uncover that beautiful life, that beautiful faith. So to see today's beatitude being linked to the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, and Galatians 5, 22. I know all of you are memorizing these together. But for today, Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And then the fruit of the Spirit, the corresponding one, is what? Is kindness. So we're all going to say this together. It's one of the ways that we're learning how to memorize it. So let's all repeat these together. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. And the fruit of the spirit is kindness. Now. As we look at the beatitude first. I can say this in the most simplest way. Lord. Have mercy. Listen. Listen. Mercy is very much a biblical concept. Mercy is all about not only forgiveness for the guilty, but also compassion for those who are needy and suffering. See, mercy in its essence is one of the characteristics of God. Now, when you think about what mercy is, the easiest way to understand mercy is in the midst of justice and grace. You put justice, mercy, and grace together. Now, I always explain this the same way, so if you've been around Crossroads for a while, you've heard me say this a number of times, but I can't think of a better way to explain it, right? Justice, mercy, and grace, they go together. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, And then grace is getting what you don't deserve. You see how that's a nice, it all fits together nice. So justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And then grace is getting what you don't deserve. Now to give you an example of my son playing basketball and falling out of the game, tying it all in like a good preacher should, right? So here's how it works. Justice is when you fall out of the game, you get removed from the game, and you definitely don't get treated to dinner, right? Because when you foul out of the game, you're bad. So justice would say you get removed from the game and no treats for you, right? Mercy is you foul out, you get removed from the game, and dad takes you to dinner, right? You're not getting what you deserve, right? It's like, and grace is you foul out of the game, dad takes you for dinner, and he gives you a trust fund, Right? That's how it works. And so, really, what's beautiful is God is just. God gives what we deserve. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that God gave the punishment that we deserve, not to us, but to Jesus. Jesus was willing to take God's just punishment for my mistakes and your mistakes on himself. But God is still just. It's part of his perfections. But God is also merciful. Merciful. Because God doesn't only give us what we deserve, sometimes he doesn't give us what we deserve. I mean, one of the most beautiful examples of it is the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son comes home after squandering the inheritance that his father had given him that he had requested? I remember the son in coming home was like, I got an idea. I'm going to tell my dad I'm not worthy to be a son, I'm going to be a slave. But you know, the father won't have anything to do with that. The son's coming home, the son is a son even though he squandered the inheritance. That's mercy. Because the father could have very easily said, you deserve not to be my son anymore. But that's not the heart of the father. So mercy is not getting what you deserve. And then grace is, again, that abundance of God gives you what you don't deserve. Like, you and I were rebels. Jesus got the just punishment. He's merciful to us. And we get to be called children of God. And this is who the Lord is. But here we're focusing on this idea of mercy. Now, what's amazing here is that mercy is something that we have received, and then we're also encouraged to extend outward to other people. So this isn't only the idea that we have feelings of mercy, but the word in the Greek really speaks of concrete acts of mercy. So really what we have here is that God is doing something to us, and then we now are in turn pushing it out into the world. This reminds me of Psalm 18, verses 25 and 26, where it says this, With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. So what we have now is God's mercy reaches us and then changes us. Now remember, not only do these Beatitudes get linked to fruit of the Spirit, but they also get linked together. Now if you've been following this series, look at how this works. It begins with poverty of spirit. Your awareness that you bring nothing good to your relationship with God except your rebellion. Right? The spiritual bankruptcy. And then that leads us to mourning because we don't have a hard heart about it. We still have these hearts that feel and we're aware of how jacked up we are. And it causes us to mourn for our own ways that we move in this world and the world that we live in. And poverty of spirit, which leads to mourning, then leads us into meekness. Right? This strength under control, this meekness, like you're kind of over yourself. You're not believing the press clippings about you. doesn't matter how many people like your Instagram picture. You're not buying it. You know who you are and you're over yourself a little bit. And then that leads us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right? Because we're like left up to my own devices. I don't got anything good going for me. God, will you help me? And it says that that person will be satisfied. Right? Now part of God's righteousness is now mercy. Right. And now all of a sudden, because we've been satisfied by the goodness of God, then it says, blessed are those who are merciful, those who don't live in such a way to give people what we think they deserve. Now, isn't that countercultural in the day and age in which we live? Because we live in a day and age where everybody deserves what they deserve. This person deserves to be impeached, or this person deserves to be fired, and this person deserves never to act in a movie again, or this or that, for all these very real reasons. But guess what? Justice is not the only attribute of God. And oftentimes, we live in a world that says, I want justice for my enemies, but I want mercy for me. Isn't that what the Psalms are about? See, that's why the Psalms historically have been so popular with every generation. It's very rare for a generation to arise that doesn't find the Psalms to be compelling. Why? Because the Psalms speak of the human condition in the light of God. And every single emotion, all the realities of what it means to be human are contained within the Psalms. And oftentimes we find David saying, Lord, will you judge my enemies, but have mercy on me? And all of us can kind of identify with that, can't we? We're saying, Lord, those people who I don't like, who don't like you, I want you to judge them, Lord. But me, will you give me a free pass, God? And we can identify with that, can't we? But the reality is, is that we need to learn the attribute of mercy that we've learned from Jesus. I mean, do you really want justice for everybody else and only mercy for you? You know why that's a problem? Of course, if you've read the book of Proverbs, it says that uneven scales are an abomination to God. So when you want justice for somebody else, you want someone to get what they got coming, but you're saying, oh, Lord, but be merciful to me. Let me off the hook. God, you know, I'm kind of jacked up here. That misses the point. Why? Because look at, the, look at the beatitude. Blessed are the merciful. Why? For they shall obtain mercy. I like to say it this way. Whatever you give, you get. Whatever you give you get blessed are the merciful those who aren't just feeling having feelings of mercy but are tangibly actively being merciful not giving people what they deserve they are those who will receive mercy and this reminds of what Jesus says later in the sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 and 2 it says judge not lest you be judged for with what judgment you judge you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be what? Measured back to you. Now, the idea of judge not, the word judge doesn't mean don't have any awareness or discernment. The word krino in the Greek language literally means to pass judgment unto condemnation. So in our day, we say judge not, so we like, well, like, well, don't judge me. It's like, no, no, I'm just discerning that I'm not going to do business with you because you're shady. That's not judgment. That's just discernment. Right. See, judgment is when you sit in the judge's seat and you pass condemnation on somebody. And it says, condemn not lest you be condemned with whatever condemnation you meet out, it will be measured back to you. So really what it says is that you and I, God allows us to erect the criteria by which we are judged. Now here's the thing. Here's what I've learned in my life, and I see it in my own heart, is that I have a tendency to be the hardest on people who do exactly the things that I do wrong. I have a tendency to be the most frustrated with people who do the sins that I do. So maybe you're the kind of person who you're really judgmental. And you know how you know you're really judgmental? Because you think everybody else is judgmental. You're like, oh, that person is so judgmental. That's because you're judgmental. Because your sin looks terrible when they do it. And you don't like being under the condemnation that you're meeting out. Maybe you're the kind of person that says, but I think everyone should be nice. And nobody is nice. You know what that probably means? You ain't nice either. Lord, have mercy. You know what I mean? And so what you have is whatever you give, you get. Whatever measure you erect, that is the measure that gets pushed back to you. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 to 10. The principle of sowing and reaping. It says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season. You will reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Now, I love what the Apostle Paul ties in here. Because he says, first, don't think for a second that God will be mocked. Whatever it is that you sow, that you will reap. And again, this has the picture of agriculture, like where we're getting ready. Whatever seed you put in, whatever you sow, that's the plant that you get. So it's like, if you are like if you go and you're putting your garden together and you get a bunch of cucumbers, you're not expecting to get tomatoes out of your cucumber seeds. Does that make sense? So whatever you sow, that you will also reap. And then Paul now takes it and he turns and he says, and don't miss that spiritual as well right? If you sow to the flesh, if you make an investment of planting seeds of rebellion against God, then of the flesh you will reap corruption. He's saying that, look, if you live your life making a life investment into what rebels against God, you will end up with corruption in your life. You will end up with everything that is not beautiful, everything that is not healthy or holy in the best interest of you or anybody else. But if you Put that in. That's what you're going to get. Of the flesh will reap corruption. But then he goes on to say, but if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. He's saying, look, if you don't sow to rebellion against God, but you sow to life locked into the rhythms of God, to the Spirit, of the Spirit, you will reap everlasting life. And listen, you want to know about your life? You want to know about the world that we live in? It's right there. Your choice for your life. No one can make your choices for you. And what's amazing is is God, as the true and living God, the all-knowing one, he doesn't make our choices for us either. He has allowed each one of us to make our own choices. But you know what he does? He says, look, I want to influence your decisions. It's your decisions, but I want to influence your decisions. And that's why when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Spirit of God takes up residence in your life so that now you have an internal witness, not just an external witness from the outside, but an internal witness that says, hey, I don't think you want to do that. Yeah, you've always done that, but not anymore. And if you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, you've experienced that, haven't you? Where things that you used to do, now all of a sudden you got this check. And at that juncture, you make a choice. What do you do when the check comes? What do you do when that conviction touches your life? Do you respond to it and flee? Or do you live into it? See, those moments, we like to call the God pause, right? There's that moment right before you make a decision where you have that check, that conviction of the spirit, and then we either obey or we disobey.
1: Jesus is real. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. God's economy doesn't work out the way we think it should sometimes. God brings blessings out of the things that we never would. As Pastor Daniel has brought us through the Beatitudes and the fruit of the Spirit, we're seeing that it's not time to try harder. It's time to lean into who we already are in Christ time to lead a merciful life because of the mercy God has shown us. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of
0: Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, but as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word "saved" to 51400, S-A-V-E-D
1: to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when we learn that justice is not the only attribute of God. We want God to judge our enemies but have mercy for us. But Pastor Daniel is going to remind you and me that that's not how God works. He says that the actively, tangibly merciful person is the one who will receive mercy. Whatever you sow into life, that will be what you reap. When you sow in mercy, that's what you reap.